0: Hello and welcome to Unramblings, a podcast about stories and storytelling. I'm Mark, I have a background in English literature and storytelling.
1: And I'm Charlene, I have a background in social work and psychology.
0: This week we're doing something a little bit different. We are going to be talking about the movie Birds of Prey, which just came out fairly recently. So we're doing it from having watched the film once, and it's sort of more of our initial thoughts on that, and may have a certain review aspect to some degree, I guess. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be new and different. So before we get into it all and get into the spoiler territory for people who haven't seen the film but might aren't sure if they want to or not yet, we did want to just give you our general thoughts without giving anything away. I think it's fair to say that we both enjoyed the movie.
1: Yes, it was a lot of fun. Um, The action sequences are very well executed, very well choreographed. The aesthetics of the movie are great and so much fun. And also the soundtrack is fantastic. And I want to get that soundtrack very soon. It feels very empowering. You can really tell that there was an all-female like creative team helming this project. And that really comes through in terms of the way that they're portraying very real aspects of the feminine experience in current society. It's also just a lot of fun.
0: I think the uh, characters are all very well drawn. Mm -hmm. I think it really does bring something that's been a little bit missing from the superhero universe up to this point.
1: Yes, I would say so. It does get very visceral at times with some of the fight scenes, so if that's something you're sensitive to you might want to be aware of that.
0: Some light body horror.
1: In In terms of injuries and things like that.
0: Okay, so, going forward from this point, we will be spoiling the plot of Birds of Prey, if we have any other spoiler warnings and the content warnings that we will have are going to be dropped in right here. Hello! Spoiler warnings are fairly light, it looks like we just have some spoilers for the film Suicide Squad, and I guess a light couple of ones for some DC Comic Universe characters, but fairly light generic things.
1: As far as content warnings, we talk about sexual assault, abuse, trauma, and in some ways body horror, uh, mainly as part of discussing the violence in the film. And I think that's it. Cool.
0: Back to the past. Welcome back. Okay, so the full title of the film is actually Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. It it could be argued that the film is more about the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn and then the Birds of Prey are also there. But, you know, it follows Harley um, from a point I guess, a short time after the Suicide Squad, where she and the Joker have broken up. She hasn't handled it terribly well, and it becomes public knowledge that they're not together anymore, so she no longer has the protection from people trying to arrest or kill her that she had before that. So that's the conceit for a lot of fun action sequences. Um, One of the people who wants her dead is um, Black Mask or Roman Sionis. Who is also incidentally searching for the Bertinelli Diamond, which is effectively a MacGuffin for large quantities of money that can easily be held in the palm of your hand. MacGuffin. Yeah, it's a it's a thing that just is is there to fill in the role of a thing.
1: Okay, I it, thought it, MacGuffin was like a like a red herring or something. Yeah. No. Okay.
0: It, it's just a it's a small, small diamond shaped pop device. Okay. Um. Harley manages to convince him to not kill her yet, and she will get the diamond for him, which is a problem because everyone is trying to get hold of the diamond as well as try to kill Harley Quinn. Throughout the course of hunting that down, you end up with a collection of five women with a load of Roman's goons outside. So there's Harley Quinn, a slightly different take from the comics on Cassandra Kane, who's a thief in this one, who's a teenage pickpocket in this one. Huntress, who's part of the Burton Nanny family and is trying to avenge her family's murder. Black Canary, who's been a singer at Roman Sinus's club, who's a strong brawler, but also has sort of banshee-like abilities. And Renee Montoya, who is a detective. They fight their way out, get the diamond, and then Harley and Cassandra Cain run off and live a life of crime. And the other three end up forming the Birds of Prey, who are their own little crime-fighting organization, who use the Bertinelli diamond that they claimed to bankroll their operation. Did that cover everything? I think so. It's interesting to do a plot summary of it, because it's very character-driven.
1: Yeah. I, I do think one thing I'd add is that Cassandra Kane has swallowed the Bertinelli diamond, which is part of the complication of this whole story um so you know people are constantly threatening threatening to cut open this teenage girl and also people are trying to get this teenage girl to poop on command for, lar- <laughs> for large segments of this movie not well, large segments but definitely some segments of this movie which is funny it's interesting
0: because like it's and i, I tend to like things like this where if you explain the plot it's very simple and I mean, like, the, the Last of Us is a great example of it, where, like, the plot is A to B, sure. Mm-hmm. But it's about the characters within the plot that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so should we get into our conversation? Sure. So the first note that I have here is for aesthetics and symbolism. Yes. Do you want to take lead on that?
1: So one of the things that we both really appreciated in the movie was the overall aesthetic composition of the film throughout. And that's visually in terms of the music and in terms of like the way that the characters physically behave and, you know, move over the course of of the movie. And particularly during the action scenes and things like that, the different fighting styles. Like in particular, there are a lot of visual choices in the movie that are very evocative of femininity and themes associated with femaleness in our society. And in particular, the booby trap which is Harley's lair, which is also also just such a great name and I really think kind of gets to the heart of a lot of what we're seeing in this movie in that it is a trap to exist as a woman in our society. Mm-hmm. You have no good options in most situations or at least no unimpeachable options because there are always things that some people are going to judge you for or be angry at you for or think you made the wrong decision. There's the whole Madonna whore dichotomy that we still see play out in our culture so much where either you are this paragon of virtue and motherhood and not a sexual being in any way or if you are a sexual being like then in some way that reduces you to only being good for that and being worthless in other spheres or just a baser creature which is of course bullshit there's a lot of just judgment of women no matter what we do and you see it in so many different situations in our society and so the booby trap i found really interesting because literally when you first see it like it is a woman like screaming and holding her hands up And, like, her mouth is open and she looks like she's trying to ward somebody off or, like, she is being attacked. Hmm. And then you walk in through her mouth, like, literally, like, violating the boundaries of her body. And then inside there are large groping hands, um, faces staring, like, with tongues out that you jump on, eyes everywhere. And it just... It was very evocative to me of just that, like, living under this microscope Mm. that is just part of the feminine experience in our culture that you just can't get away from. And you just kind of have to decide how much you're going to let it affect you. But that's not even always a decision you can make. Like, you can try to not let it affect you to a certain extent. But that's not always possible.
0: I mean, you can try and not let it get to you, but it's still going to affect your, in the most basic way, job opportunities.
1: Right. It's going to, or even like with people like saying rude shit to you on the street, a lot of the time that has nothing to do with anything you're doing, but has so much more to do with the messages that our society sends to men in particular about the kinds of spaces women are like allowed to occupy and what is and isn't appropriate to do. There are a lot of messages that men receive in our society that lead to a lot of men feeling very entitled to comment on a woman's appearance, for example, tell her to smile as though her presence in a public space in some way obligates her to be pleasing to other people and men in particular. So here in this movie, in this battle scene, you have Harley Quinn and four other strong female characters who all have their own motivations for being in this situation, literally defending themselves from a horde of men who are trying to violate one of their bodies to get something they want, mm. despite the fact that none of them ever wanted to be entangled in any of that. Cassandra Kane didn't want to be she didn't even know what she was doing when she ate the diamond. Harley Quinn didn't want to be in a situation where she's being blackmailed into going after a teenage girl.
0: Black Canary or, or, or like, sort of tries to turn a blind eye as much as possible to not have to deal with it.
1: Right. She just wanted to like kind of have a punch-in-and-out type of job for this kingpin guy singing. And then he finds out that she is a good brawler and makes her his driver and makes her complicit in a lot more things that she's not comfortable with.
0: The two ones that might be an argument for is uh, Huntress. Huntress at this point wants to be involved in it, but because of the position she was put in, 15, 20 years earlier.
1: Well, she doesn't care about Roman, though. She wants to kill Zaz. She's yeah. not trying to be a part of this other situation. She is following her lead for her own personal revenge, and it happens to get her tangled up in this other situation. And because of her traumatic experience as a child, she then wants to protect Cassandra Kane from yeah. having to experience and be a victim of this violence.
0: And then René Montoya, I guess, is there for Harley. There for everyone, really,
1: but... I think she was trying to find Cassandra Kane as well. Yeah. Because Cassandra Kane escapes, well, Harley Quinn breaks Cassandra Kane out of holding. Yeah. And Renee Montoya has a soft spot for Cassandra. She's always getting locked up for petty shoplifting and pickpocketing. But she's ultimately she's a kid who's in a bad situation, whose foster parents don't really take good care of her. Yeah. Um, so she's trying to make sure that this kid who got busted out of jail by a much worse criminal, to be honest, is okay. So, yeah, you have all these people who are getting enmeshed in this man's quest for this narcissistic dominion over the city and just trying to keep that from hurting them directly. Yeah. While surrounded by all of these icons of feminine vulnerability in our society, groping hands and staring eyes.
0: I'm trying to think if there's some places in the film where that's also shown in i mean the the booby trap as you say it's certainly very on the nose about it it's Mm -hmm. overt i'm trying to think if there are other times in the film that you get that sort of imagery for that i'm trying to think of her apartment
1: well her apartment does have those like very soft pink walls the very fleshy colors and a lot of very feminine details and like spirals and things like that which are associated with fertility and femininity and things like that Like her. Her own personal space decor does do that
0: that was the other thing with the booby trap um is the um they have the like meeting in the room where Harley thinks there's going to be a cache of weapons and stuff mm-hmm. and then like escape there by going out for a shoot mm-hmm. together and then like after they've sort of bonded and the fight and they think they're good and they're like heading out and they're coming out of the mouth, Mm -hmm. the camera angles make it look much less like a mouth and much more sort of vaginal and Yeah. So they're sort of being born as this group of people.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and also there's the fact that the booby trap, which is her lair where she had her cache of weapons and clothes and things like that, had been violated by the Joker. Like, he had come in and stolen all of the stuff that he thought was valuable of hers. Yeah. All of her weapons. He left her clothes. He didn't have any use for them, but he took what he wanted and he left, Yeah, even though that was her space. Yeah. So you see what I'm talking about when I say like there's all of this imagery in the booby trap of like why it can be really shitty to be a woman and just the ideas that women are constantly hit by of you exist for other people and your boundaries don't matter. Yeah. I appreciate the contrast between that environment and the actual characters themselves who are very independent and very self-assured. They know who they are. I mean, hardly less so at the beginning, but, you know, you can tell even at the beginning she's dressed crazy, but for her, you know, she's yeah. not... She's not She's not trying to be the Joker's pet anymore. She is yeah. her own person. And the same with the other main characters. They might be sexy, but it's in a way that's for them.
0: Yeah, and I want to swing back around to that on a later point as well. Mm-hmm. I think that there's like hints and nods throughout that speak towards what you're talking about there with Booby Trap, and then that's sort of a culmination of a lot of it. I think um, sort of on the other end of the spectrum, you have a, the way that a lot of the men are portrayed in the film Mm -hmm. um it's most over with roman's stuff there's a lot of uh, but i mean i think it applies to every male figure in the film that they get tied with ideas of capitalism and colonialism Mm -hmm. there's a very uncomfortable scene where roman is showing black canary all of his like trinkets and stuff and it's like shrunken heads and all this and he's like telling them about how he got them from these places and like it's at best it's it's very appropriative but really it's just like that like colonial like these are my interests mm-hmm. sort of thing
1: and really his interests boil down to taking things that aren't his
0: yeah and then having a garish statue of himself made which i don't think gets destroyed in the film and i think that that's a mistake i think mm. that they really could have hit a good note on that somewhere but
1: mm. there may not have been a good opportunity to go back to his place where that statue was at a point that would be appropriate for him to for it to get messed up
0: just have him bring it with him to the final
1: fight The ultimate narcissistic show. I mean... He is super narcissistic. Well, he it's that entitlement that I was talking about before, where he, he seems to genuinely believe that if he can claim it, if he is capable of doing that, it belongs to him and it was always his. It's this, like, manifest destiny perspective, but of the whole... Everything of people specifically he talks about he talks about people as being his, yeah, and it like about Harley Quinn specifically that if she's not the jokers, then she's his, yeah, um, and it's disgusting, really, but it it really it's all very tied up in that colonialist perspective of if I can claim it, it was always mine, yeah, it's mine for the taking,
0: and like the assumption that people should listen to him and give him things. He's trying to get, like, the... I think the people who, are, like, run the crime around the docks mm-hmm. be part of his organisation. And they're like, no, thank you. He's like, no, really, like, you, you should. And they say no, and he, he just kills them. It, well, he doesn't just kill them. It's, uh, it's a whole thing. But it's...
1: He's so offended.
0: Yes, yeah. He puts so much stock in that. their eh, stock, because capitalism. No? Okay. But the imagery for that runs throughout as well. There's the drive of money is shown as being a powerful force for the men in it all the time. Uh-huh. Um, For the, the women, like the money is literally incidental. It's like, oh yeah, and we also have this diamond with the bank codes for all the offshore accounts. Yeah, that's cool. Uh-huh but really it's about getting it to stop men attacking you or getting it to just stop other people getting it. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Well, I mean, if you think about the things that the women in the movie actually value, and, I mean, there's not a lot that they explicitly value, but Harley Quinn explicitly values her hyena and a really good egg and cheese sandwich. Like, those are her things, like, that she is passionate about. And the occasional, like, pretty shiny object, like, for herself. But not not to, like, impose on anyone else. Like, that purse that she steals or whatever is not, like, she's not doing that in any sort of dominating way of other people. She's just like, oh, that's cool and I like it and I think it would look good with my other spangly things. But mostly the sandwich and the hyena. But, you know, it's... It's those comfort things for herself, not exploitative things that involve other people.
0: Right. And I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things is that it is set up as this sort of dichotomy. Because you have these male characters who, like, I mean, there's the guy whose takeout place she lives above, mm-hmm. who, like, she refers to as being, like, the the one good one. Mm-hmm. And even he, like, sells her out because someone offered her enough, offered him enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you have the scene when she goes shopping and Cassandra Kane is like, oh, well, you must be doing okay for yourself because you're shopping in this bougie-ass store. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not shopping here, I'm robbing this store.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Paying is for suckers or something like that what was it what was it she paying is for somebody who's stupid essentially but i can't remember the exact word she uses
0: it was very wordy in the film with all
1: that i think it was yeah you know it's like paying is for suckers or dum dums or something like that
0: yeah which you could argue is just crime Mm -hmm. but still it's that eschewing the notions of capitalism and mm-hmm. like Huntress had a fortune, mm-hmm. she doesn't care about getting her fortune back, she cares about the fact that someone killed her entire family. Right. So you get that push between the male and female and the capitalist and not so much. But also this, it's interesting that those representations sort of extend to everyone. I don't think that there's a male character in the film that's not an hat.
1: Well, there's Sal who makes the bacon egg and cheese sandwich or the egg and cheese sandwich or whatever is on there. Okay. What, what meat was on it? What's her name? Yeah. Um, Although he does use cheese slices that are way out of date, so maybe that's. But she says that
0: might be why they're so good. Yeah. It's a special tang, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fair enough. He is the the one character that's not developed enough.
1: But it's but she's also the person she only relies on for like a small thing. Like you have one job. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's. And she
0: she pays for most of that. Yeah. and and
1: promises to pay for the rest of it.
0: Yeah. But I even there's, and I I want to talk to, about this scene again in a bit, um. So we can get into it more then. But there's the scene where Roman gets upset that a woman is laughing when he's in a bad mood, mm-hmm. and has her like climb up on the table and dance, and then has her companion cut the dress off. And
1: yeah, that's a deeply uncomfortable scene.
0: You can sit there and try and make the argument of. The companion like didn't have a choice, like what might happen to him if he said no. Mm -hmm. But even if you allow that for that as an excuse, he still becomes complicit in the male shitty treatment of women that's going
1: on. He is also a victim there, but yeah, I do see what you mean.
0: And the film doesn't really like shows that he feels awkward and is unwilling about it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really try and make any apologies for him,
1: which I think does seem to be a symbolic statement of how men benefit from patriarchy even if they don't want to be benefiting from it
0: yeah want to elaborate more on that
1: sure the fact that there are still really sexist and small-minded men who have these very limited ideas of like a woman's role and capacity and things like that sets the bar really low for men in general like if you're not a sexist asshole, you're automatically benefiting um, from the shitty bar of everyone else. There are so many people who make who make apologies for abusive behavior if it's not physically abusive, or even if it is physically abusive in our society. And so, like, it gets to the point of like, so there are people who are if they're unhappy in a relationship, but the person that they're with is a good provider or something. There are people in their lives because of these views who will be like, well, he doesn't hit you, does he? Or something, you know? Yeah. And so if you are not, you know what I mean? It just, it sets the bar on the floor and it's that, that benefits other men, even if they're not doing anything actively. Plus, of course, there's all the passive uh, positive effects of being male in this world like, in terms of your Applications getting um, considered more thoughtfully. Like, you're more likely to get called about jobs, more likely to get interviewed, more likely to get hired, more likely to get offered higher salaries and raises. You tend to have to prove your merit less rigorously for promotions and raises and things like that. You are taught a lot of things like negotiating that women are discouraged from trying to do, let alone taught. People don't go around telling men to smile when they're in public areas. There's just so many benefits that a man passively reaps in the world.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that I really appreciated about this film is that it does set up that world of shitty male supremacy where they have the power. And then because this is a film that is giving itself five female protagonists, has the room to explore different responses to that. You have five strong female leads there, and so often you see one lead, if any, one female lead, if any, mm-hmm. and it's. Assuming it isn't some weird wish fulfillment on the part of a male writer, it ends up either being only one perspective or being several perspectives tried to roll into one because otherwise you'd have to have two women or three men. It's a lot of hassle. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was interesting and really good the way that they managed to provide sort of different aspects of that way of surviving within that world.
1: Mm -hmm. And do you think that's interesting, especially when you think about Harley Quinn? Because in her character you see two different strategies for surviving in that, for a long time, she found a powerful man to take care of her, basically, and to help. And in a sort of complementarian sort of a way, he took a lot of credit for her ideas. And like she later realizes and resents that that's the case. But she she felt empowered by the knowledge that she was untouchable because she would attached herself to someone everyone else was afraid to cross. Yeah. And that is one strategy. That good provider I mentioned before, like you find someone who can take care of you and then you live your life how you want because all your needs are handled. And that's a strategy. And it's a strategy that I'm sure that some people who are not women also take, but it's one that women are still often encouraged to do. It's You. You find a good man or, you know, you find someone who can take care of you. That is a thing a lot of parents want for their daughters, even now that our society has shifted more to expect everyone to work. Yeah. Then she ends up breaking up with the Joker for good, which it kind of seems like he broke up with her and she was not, or maybe she broke up with him, but she didn't mean it or something. And it, but it ends up being a final split and she has to try and figure out, okay, what's my strategy now? especially since I kind of abused the situation I was in before where I was so protected that I didn't have any thought to what would happen if I didn't have that protection. Yeah.
0: Well, you do also get like a view into her life before the Joker in this. Mhm. Like they don't go full origin story, but they do have the representation of Ace Chemicals and the destruction of it. Mhm. Um but also like a bit of a story about how her life was going before the Joker. Right. Um, And that she was sort of bouncing around Like, like she was on her own and she wasn't necessarily happy, but she was surviving.
1: Yeah. And you do get the sense that she didn't really have fulfilling relationships as such prior to the Joker and like had had a few heartbreaks before meeting him. Yeah. And she seemed to have been trying to get a lot of fulfillment externally by chasing accolades, basically, you know, she got really good grades, and she went to medical school, and she became a psychiatrist. So she's basically trying to follow the path society has said will lead you to be happy and successful. You do good in school, and you get a high paying, successful, respected career. She tried that. She clearly wasn't terribly fulfilled by that because you can't be a, you can't not be a fulfilled and happy, stable person and also fall for the Joker. Like that's, those are incompatible things. Um, yeah. There's something missing in your life if you're falling for the Joker. i make that hot take right there. But so yeah, so she ends up being seduced by this idea of this existence where she doesn't have to worry about the rules of society because being with him makes her above all of that. Yeah. Black Canary just tries to keep her head down. That's her yeah. strategy. Well,
0: she's, she's seen her mother die, but when she was trying to stick her neck out and trying to buck trends.
1: Mm-hmm. So trying she's, to stand up for what she believed in, etc.
0: So she's taken that lesson and internalized it to, I just need to stay out of trouble. If it means working for a Roman Sionis, that's fine. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a paycheck. Yeah.
0: I think Renée Montoya is an interesting one because she's similarly sort of become... I guess she's cynical of the system and knows that she's going to get screwed over, Mm -hmm. but keeps trying, because she's had that position where her male partner has been given all the... or at least taken all the credit for something and got the promotion. At the end of the film, that happens again, Mm -hmm. and she gets kind of sidelined. For no good reason that we're given in the film.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, then there's not an explicit, like, oh, she wasn't liked in the department or he was better with words or something. It's just, like... He took all the credit, and we're just left to go because he was the dude.
1: Yeah. And potentially also because she's lesbian. There may also be some discrimination there. It's not made a whole lot of in the film, and I honestly missed it at first. For some reason, I thought that she had been dating her partner, who ended up taking the credit, and that her boss, who was her partner, was also her ex. But apparently that line was actually saying that the ADA, the assistant district attorney, who is a woman is her ex. And, of course, but Mark caught that. But it might also have been because of bias with that yeah. anti-LGBT bias.
0: Yeah. There's Cassandra Kane.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you want to talk about her at
1: all? She's trying to figure out her strategy.
0: Yeah, well... She's
1: a teenager and she has no support, no meaningful support yeah. in the world. So she's trying to figure out how can I survive by myself? And that's why she sort of gravitates to Harley because she's... Th- sees Harley when Harley's independent of the Joker and thinks, oh, this is a woman who is being able to take care of herself with a life of crime, which is sort of the direction I'm going as a pickpocket. Maybe she can give me some tips on how to make a name for myself and do this on my own terms in the criminal way I want. But she's fun figuring it out. She's a kid.
0: She's got the, like, life's not going to give me anything, so I'll take it.
1: Yes, very much so. And that seems to also be what Harley Quinn has learned from the Joker. She seems to be trying to forge her own path, but the one of the biggest influences in her life recently in terms of how you get by has the main person she's been watching survive in this world and do well for themselves in this world has been the Joker because she's been his subordinate. So she is continuing on with that being a life of crime. It's not like she's gone, dyed her hair back a regular color, and changed her name and moved to another city and gotten a job as a psychiatrist. Or not even changed her name, but gone, you know, just gone somewhere else to practice as a psychiatrist with normal hair and people who maybe won't look too closely at her background check. People get jobs under shady circumstances all the time.
0: Well, I mean, she does. Like it is kind of mentioned that like the chemicals have had a permanent effect to some degree, and uh, there like on they're, her mind. And I think on her skin. Well, I think definitely
1: on her skin. Yeah.
0: Um. And and also there's a decent number of tattoos, including a couple of face tattoos. There. Well, I mean, yeah. There's there's things you can do about that these days. But anyway, um,
1: that's fair. Face tattoos would make things hard. She could be a life... Co- she did put on her business card, life coach, so... Yeah, I you know, mean, in some she way put she, quite a lot of things on her business card. She did put quite a lot of things. But yeah, she's trying to figure it out, and so is Cassandra Kane. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: And then there's Huntress, who I find really interesting as a character. She has this... She's kind of got the, like, oh, I was raised by five brothers kind of, mm-hmm. like, feminine mentality of, like...
1: I'm not like other girls, no, sorry. <laughs> That's I mean... a little unfair, but...
0: It is kind of what it is, uh, yeah. but like she's also very socially awkward. Yeah, in a way that you don't tend to see in things that aren't like teen romance things. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna go on a hot take and say that I could name a few peop- few women in their thirties who are socially awkward, mm-hmm. who might actually enjoy having a, someone they can look at and go, oh, they're badass, mm-hmm. and they don't have a clue how to talk to people.
1: <laughs> yes. They probably also live in fear of conversations. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: I mean, I think conversations would be go much smoother for me if I could occasionally shoot people in the neck with a crossbow.
1: But yeah, but not if you had to start every one of them with they call me, (laughs) which is actually a good point in terms of the whole like being a woman in a man's world. And just like trying to assert the way you want to be seen against the way other people keep trying to decide who you are. Like, and that is something I, I really like about Huntress. Like, I feel so bad for her because, like, she has this idea of who she is and who she wants to be, the face she wants to present to the world. But because she isn't in a position where she can explicitly tell people what to call her because, you know, what she's doing is legal, because she's assassinating people, other people are trying to define her for her. And she's having push against it.
0: It's a good thing that she found some friends, because otherwise she was probably a couple of murders away from, like, scrolling her name on a wall in some blood. Uh...
1: Yeah. They call me Handress! No, they Which... don't. <laughs> Poor thing.
0: You just want them to. They will do. I mean,
1: you can say you can call me Huntress, or just call me Huntress. Like that make it an imperative. But she has so no social skills, and so she's like trying to sort of sidle into it. Like other people have said this, and that validates the that validates the stance. Yes, trust me, other people say this. <laughs> it's um, unfortunately
0: a Trump move, but <laughs> yeah, um, it,
1: it is unfortunately. But it, I think it does come from a lack of confidence and like trying to get other people to think more. People are already behind an idea than are. And I think that does fundamentally come from her not feeling like she has the grounding to assert herself in that way.
0: I I think that a lot of it comes down to um, who who you are as a person if you've been raised by two Sicilian assassins.
1: Maybe. Yeah, that's fair.
0: And as far as we can tell, not talk to anyone else in that time.
1: Mm. I think it was two male... Sicilian assassins as well so I really I would love to have been a fly on the wall during the explaining menstruation conversation in that household it's like yeah well you don't seem to be dying so
0: but also on top of that like two Sicilian assassins related to one of the people that helped kill your family but then was like chose to save you still helped kill your family though Anyway, a lot of baggage there. That one's interesting because Cassandra Kane's backstory in the graphic novels is that she's raised as an assassin by her assassin parents, uh, but her parents are insane, and to make her a better assassin, deprive her of speech and human contact. So she grows up surprisingly socially awkward. So there's sort of a bit of a parallel there with what they do for Huntress's story.
1: Yeah. There's also, in terms of like strategies for surviving and existing... Another one of Huntress's strategies, I think, in terms of how she can be okay with who she is, is by taking care of other people and, like, protecting other people from experiencing the same thing that she did. Because during the whole fight in the booby trap when they're trying to protect Cassandra from Roman's goons, she makes... Persistent effort to not just shield Cassandra Cain from physical harm, but to try and do things that she can to lessen the traumatic nature of the experience, like trying to find places for her to hide where she doesn't have to see The battle happening and giving her something else to focus on, like giving her the toy car that she herself had had in her hands when her family was massacred and around her. Yeah. So she's and she says explicitly, like, you shouldn't have to see this. Yeah. So she does seem to have taken on this idea that you should also try and keep other people from having to experience the same traumatic events that you have.
0: Yeah. And I think it's sort of the crux of what it comes down to with the sort of a message um, on this is the shift that you see throughout the film is that the five protagonists are very much separate at the start of the film. None of them have any strong connection to any of the other ones and are either not working together or in some cases actively trying to tear each other down. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that might be a liberal reading of Renee Montoya trying to arrest Harley Quinn for, you know crime, Mm -hmm. but it's the building together to the point where it's like let's work together against the patriarchy. Sure, I was searching for another word, but that one works best. Rather than tearing ourselves down.
1: Right. That's interesting because you do see, before they all come together for the conflict at the end... You get points where two of them are brought together by what I would say are fairly, not necessarily universal, but very well understood obligations women seem to feel toward one another in a lot of ways. There's Renee Montoya being some like maternal and kind of checking on and, you know, lovingly busting the chops of Cassandra Cain at the police station. And there's very much this like older woman, younger teenager dynamic of like, I'm kind of I'm trying to look out for you and I don't want you to go the wrong way. And Cassandra Kane seeing and understanding that for what it is. I'm still I know I'm still breaking the law and you're a police officer, but also you have my best interests at heart type of a thing, yeah. but also black canary saving Harley Quinn from probably getting getting roofied it looks like or taken advantage of when she's drunk and keeping her from getting absconded with after she's been drinking and that and she's like doing this knowing Harley Quinn is kind of an asshole and you know, has hurt a lot of people, but it's this idea of like, no one deserves that. No one deserves to be taken advantage of and violated in that way, even if you are a criminal and an asshole and a person who's hurt a lot of people, killed a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't live with myself if I knowingly let another woman experience that. And you similarly have, you have Harley and Cassandra getting doing their bonding, which is a little weird because it's actually starting out with Harley Quinn trying to take Cassandra because she wants the diamond for Roman, but also just sort of, she they're, she's a kid, you know, feeding her and things like that. And of course, there's the great hair time moment, but that's actually during the fight. Yeah. But so you see smaller things like that, that initially bring these characters together in these littler moments. Yeah. But those moments ultimately lead to like other moments of solidarity when they are together that are explicitly call outs to at least the feminine audience of these are things that we want to, these are things that most women will do for one another, like lending a hair tie Yeah, or, or clothes and things like that. I guarantee you if there are other women in the bathroom and you need some sort of like feminine hygiene product, someone is going to give one to you. Or if you need a hair tie, someone will probably give one to you. Bobby pin, whatever. If you fuck up your clothes at work, a lot of the time, one of your female coworkers will lend you something. They'll probably probably have something in their car or at their desk. And if someone has something that will fit you, they will let you borrow it. Yeah. I mean, overall, there are definitely a lot of things that point to women need each other and need to be in solidarity with one another. The movie doesn't actually talk about non-binary genders, but I would assume that this is true of all feminine-identified people, or people who do not identify as men and who do not benefit from the privileges of being male in our society need to stick together and look out for one another.
0: Yeah. Um, I did sort of want to put a disclaimer in at some point that we're talking about this in very much binary ways. And it's because the film talks about it in very much binary ways. Mm -hmm. I would love it if it didn't. But it's also, our society is structured that way at the moment. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll move away from that.
1: I think we are, slowly but surely.
0: The film does contain some LGBT representation. You mentioned that Renee Montoya is a lesbian.
1: Or at least... Her most significant relationship mentioned was with a woman.
0: Yes, who is also present, Mm -hmm. and neither of them die, which is No,
1: neither of them die. They Um, do not kill their gays in this movie, so that's nice.
0: And Harley is noted as being bi in the film as well, because there's just like a note at the start that she's had at least one relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, wider universe, it's known that she's had a relationship with Poison Ivy as well. Mm -hmm. But we don't see any trans or non-binary characters that I'm aware of.
1: No, not that I'm aware of either.
0: So I want to talk about the way that trauma works within the plot as a plot element, but more importantly for what I want to say is about how it's told. Mm -hmm. Um, And I read an article that put this in a really good way, and I'll find it and we can link it into the show notes. But it talks about how trauma is a big driving force for various characters in the show, but you don't actually see the trauma. You see the effects of it, and you see the recovery from it.
1: You see Cassandra, or you see Huntress's family being murdered around her, and she's standing there, and she sees the whole thing.
0: Sure, but as far as violence against women type stuff.
1: There's the cutting off of the dress in the cocktail bar. Right. And that's a traumatic event that happens.
0: It is. Mm -hmm. But the way that it's portrayed, because I thought about this with the way that, like, Joker doesn't appear in the film. Yes. And I know that Joker doesn't appear in the film because of,
1: no, it was intentional at the beginning, like from the very f- first conception of the film when oh, it was okay. first pitched. Right. So, when it was first pitched, Margaret Robbie was asked what his role in the film would be, and she said none. She said it would be very important because the Joker is so central to Harley Quinn that if he's there at all, he will be all she focuses on. So, he couldn't be there at all. Okay. If it was going to be about her.
0: So, like, that source of trauma isn't shown. You see her getting thrown out, mm-hmm. but that's it.
1: And in Suicide Squad, you just get the flash... And in, here, in this movie, you get a flashback to her dropping into the tank for, of acid for him. There's a brief flash of it in the movie. There
0: is. But it was the scene with the dress and how that's portrayed. And this is what was brought up in the article, is that in it looks like that scene is going to go a certain way. And in any other film that included that scene, I think that it would have, which is that you would have seen a naked woman. Or Uh a woman in just her underwear. Uh The cutting off and the way the angles and the shot is framed, Uh no reasonable man thought that was sexy. Uh Which is how it's often portrayed in other films, I would say. She is still, like, covering herself with what's left of her dress. Uh Does that make sense to you with what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it's not shot to be, like, a kinky thing that's supposed to be sexy but somewhat disturbing. It's just disturbing. Yes. It's just upsetting. Like, it's, it's a very female gaze, not a male gaze.
0: Yeah. So, like, I feel the film is about recovering from trauma and about the fact that trauma is, is inflicted. Mm -hmm. but isn't about, it's not about that sort of voyeurism of trauma.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And, I mean, that makes sense because, I mean, the subtitle is And the Fantabulous Emancipation, so that definitely makes sense. I also think that it's in part about how women sort of have to, on an ongoing basis, recover from traumas that are inescapable for feminine-identified women in our society. I think everybody I know has some experience of being sexualized at far too young an age, that's a disturbing and traumatic thing to have to accept as part of your everyday life that, that that's a thing that could just happen at any point. And it's a thing that you have to have happen to you because there is not enough awareness of it in our society to keep it from being a thing that pretty much every female experiences. And be, similarly, being made to feel powerless or inconsequential um, or inferior in some way in comparison with men in our culture that is also a thing that i think almost every woman if not every female identified person i know has experienced at some point has some sort of story about periods of time when you find out you're being paid less than your male coworkers periods of time when you're in a meeting and you you say something and then no one acknowledges that you had an idea and a male coworker says it and is acknowledged and praised times when your work is completely taken for granted all sorts of stuff to say nothing of times if you like try to reject a man's sexual advances and are threatened immediately if not actually hurt. Yeah. Men who will not take no for an answer but will take your ownership by another man as an answer. Yeah. Um you know the the guy that you have to tell you have a boyfriend or that you're married or he will not leave you the fuck alone, which is fucked up. No should be enough. It should be enough that I'm not interested. It doesn't ma- shouldn't matter if I'm single or not. So like, there's just these ongoing traumatic and dehumanizing experiences that people who are perceived as female have to deal with and know how to cope with in our society. I do really like that this that this movie is very clearly and explicitly calling out Harley Quinn's relationship with the Joker as being really unhealthy and not being anything remotely aspirational. I hate it when I see that. Yeah. I love Harley Quinn as a character. But her relationship with the Joker is not aspirational. It's deeply toxic. And I do think that her vulnerability after getting out of that abusive relationship is an important allegory for all of the ways that people are vulnerable when they leave abusive relationships. Even if the relationship didn't include physical abuse, there's often financial abuse where this person has been systematically kept from being able to support themselves so they'd be dependent on their abuser. There are just so many different kinds of abuse that make it difficult to have the capacity to stand on your own after that person is no longer in your life, it, including emotional, like systematically destroying your emotional ties to other people in your support system that could help you through the people who could support you um, when you leave that toxic force in your life. So Harley Quinn is no longer with the Joker and she makes it permanent. And it's interesting because for a long time, people don't believe that she's really, that they've really broken up for real because they break up and get back together all the time. And that also happens a lot with abusive relationships. People go back because they feel like they have to, like they don't have any other option. And once Harley Quinn realizes there's a target on her back, if she hadn't already made a really public and huge can't-take-it-back statement by blowing up the chemical plant, maybe she would have gone back to him at that point when she realized that everyone was gunning for her. And that is exactly the kind of control that the Joker and any abusive person lays in around a person that they're abusing because they want to be the only answer. They want to be the only choice for that for that victim. So that's why the people will convince you to move far away from your support system and try and turn you against your family and friends, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she can't go back. And so she has to go forward. But it really does show the difficulty in that when you've become so reliant on someone else. I think the average is like seven times that people will try and leave an abusive relationship before mm. they actually leave for good. And a big part of that is because the abuser has cut them off from so many forms of support. And conditioned them to think that they cannot handle, they, that they can't get by without them. That, that they need their abuser to function. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because I love that the Joker is not in this movie because it does force you to see Harley on her on her own. It forces her to figure out what that means. But I also, just knowing how those kinds of dynamics play out, wonder if any thought had been given to his reaction to her, like, blowing up the chemical plant and everyone gunning for her. Like, if he's there being like, ah, she'll come running back any minute now. Because it's what I would expect of someone like that.
0: Yeah. Um, Not to
1: say I think he should have been in this movie. I think it's perfect that he's not. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that the movie does a good job of showing that just because you've broken up with someone for good and you know that they were bad for you doesn't mean that all of the positive memories and feelings that you had for that person go away. Harley Quinn does keep some stuff from her life with the Joker for sentimental reasons. Like she doesn't want to forget that that was ever a part of her life, but she is trying to move forward into a new chapter of her life. And I also love that they have seeded the movie and her parts in particular with these glimpses into what she must have been like as a psychiatrist and acknowledgement in things that she says that that is part of who she is and that is part of her history. Like she says to Huntress, after she has killed Zaz, the very last of the people that she needed to kill to avenge her family, Harley Quinn says something along the lines of, revenge often doesn't bring the catharsis that we hope it will. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure it's not those exact words. But what she is saying, and I think she's right, is that Huntress has put off dealing with the emotional fallout and trauma of the massacre that she was in the middle of by compartmentalizing to this series of tasks that she could control. She could become an amazing assassin. She had the the tools. She had the resources and tools and guidance to do that. And she could focus single-mindedly on a list of people to eliminate. And, you know, that could be, you know, feel like she's making progress on dealing with this horrible, horrible traumatic event. But she isn't actually dealing with what happened Mm. as far as herself. You know, she's postponing dealing with that emotionally. Yeah. And so Harley Quinn is basically saying, yeah, you got through your list of things you thought would make you feel better, but it's probably not going to lift the weight that you're feeling in the way that you want.
0: It is nice to have that nod to that and, like, the except. I don't know, I feel like they often work to forget how smart Harley Quinn is. She is zany, but she's not an idiot. Yeah. She doesn't always think things through.
1: Right. She's manic and impulsive. Yeah. And a part of that might be underlying and part of why she was susceptible to the Joker in the first place, but part of it might be the chemical bath, you know, messing with her brain. Yeah. But it didn't make her stupid, you're right.
0: So I think the other storytelling thing I want to talk about is, um, I, I guess, how the story is actually told. I thought it was a fascinating choice to have a Harley Quinn work as a narrator for a lot of the story and actually sort of be the storyteller.
1: She definitely is the narrator throughout. It's all told from her perspective and she like rewinds the action to tell you different parts because she's trying to fill in what she found out later about what happened before people showed up in her part of what happened, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's the broken chronology. Yeah, It's almost as if she gets excited about her part. She's like, oh yeah, and I broke into the police station, I did all this, and then there was a phone call. Oh wait, but you need to know about why there was a phone call. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, the narration stuff, I mean, I think it does go beyond just narration, because it's not just sort of... Like, it is the full structure of the story as well that's controlled by her. But I think the... I mean, it's it's an old trick, but just the unreliable nature of her narration. Like, you see it very early on when she's talking about how she and the Joker broke up and how, like, ah, he took it really bad and, you know, she was fine and stuff. And it's narrated over her, like, crying and, like, in, in the rain and pounding on the door and things. You get that sort of reframing of things.
1: Yeah. She says that she handled it very maturely. Yep. um, Which is just so funny. Like, it's a great opportunity for humor because she just doesn't do anything maturely. (laughs) It's kind of an important part of her character is that she's let go of these ideas of what you should and shouldn't do in society as part of abandoning her, her legitimate role in society when she threw in with the Joker. I think that that particular technique is used to inject a lot of humour into the story. Yeah, well, it gives you a
0: really good inside of Harley's brain, which is a very strange place to be. <laughs> so many of the stories that we see are from, like, Batman's point of view, or from the people trying to organise the Suicide Squad, for whom Harley is this unpredictable nuisance, or from the Joker's point of view in some point. Cases where she's often inconsequential or something that can be discarded. You know, various unhealthy things for a relationship. <sighs>
1: like, he, he's delighted by the signs of her reflecting him, basically. Yeah. And when she doesn't or when it's expedient for him, he discards her. She, he gets mad when she's doing stuff on her own for her own reasons that don't have anything to do with him. Because that's evidence of her having her own mind and her own will and not reflecting him. Yeah. I also wonder to what extent you could make an argument for some of the other scenes being somewhat misrepresented, I guess. Like the the scene in the police station with all of the artful smoke and glitter everywhere that involved... Results in her like walking through this like perfect background of pink and blue on either side and glitter in the middle. Um, whether that's like the visual in her mind. Of what that must have looked like and the coolest way it could look.
0: I can see your point of view. I think for integrity of storytelling, that can't be the case because they do show a discrepancy between what Harley is saying and what Harley, what's actually happened with the breakup with Joker. Right. So like if they'd done her sort of like bumbling and like getting kind of lucky through the police station, Mm -hmm. but her narration was like, it was awesome. It was really Mm -hmm. smooth and they (laughs) did a great job. Then, like, I think that would be a good situation for that. But as they are, as they establish mm-hmm. at the beginning that what is being said is Harley's point of view, and what we're showing you is what actually happened,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't think it quite works for that.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I just wonder about it because it's a little too perfect. Yeah, but it is really cool. Like, it's a great scene. Um, the just choreography let is be badass. Yeah, the choreography is great. There's but- also like part of her narrating includes her editorializing, which you were saying, like, that narration style of it all being from her perspective and the timeline in which she seems to be remembering or injecting details as she finds them relevant to the story, also includes her commentary and opinions and judgments on other people and why in her evaluation of, like, for example, why different people are trying to kill her. So I think those are some of the funniest moments, like, I was saying good opportunities for comic relief in the movie where she's doing sort of like football commentary drawing over the still images Mm. of people that are trying to kill her and she's like trying to remember or telling the audience what she did that pissed them off and In some of them, they're kind of throwaway gags or, like, things you already knew. But so it's funny because you already knew it. Like, when it's the, like, you see her get the hyena and the guy is, like, creepily hitting on her. And so she apparently lets the hyena eat him. And then later his brother, who is dressed in the same horrible clothes, goes for her. And so it's like, you know, grievance fed his brother to a hyena. You know, and it amuses us because we knew that. But then there's other ones, like, with Roman where she goes and she gives like a laundry list of reasons that he might be mad at her but they include character assessments that make a lot of sense coming from her as a psychiatrist like essentially that he's a misogynist and that he it wouldn't actually have mattered if he did anything if she had done anything to him he was going to be against her already just because she was a woman
0: yeah gives some interesting perspectives when you have a character like that that is not entirely hinged
1: yeah um
0: and then like do get so far into her brain there's a lot of the time that you know narration um and especially with an unreliable narrator is done so that you can make someone seem like a more sympathetic character which i don't think is the effect here i think there are various reasons that we sympathize with harley but i don't think that it's because of anything she ever says
1: Yeah, it's not like she's painting herself in a positive light. She does try a little, like, with her representation of the breakup. But for the most part, she's not trying to obscure her flaws or her transgressions. Like, she's pretty clear, like, oh, yeah, no, I broke the... I seriously injured those people. I killed this person, I fucked this person over in this way. There's a
0: light element of they had it coming.
1: She seems to think that the decision she made that pissed them off was justified, you know, seemed reasonable at the time. Reasonable, you know, heavily air quoted there. But yeah, she doesn't seem remorseful, certainly. And so I don't think it's her trying to get the audience's sympathy of like, it's so unfair, this guy wants to kill me because I fed his brother to my hyena. Like, no, she's not trying to get sympathy for that. But when she did feed his brother to the hyena, it does show that he was creepily hitting on her, which does engender at least a little bit of sympathy, <laughs> at least in this audience member. I mean, I, I do think it's a disproportionate response, but yeah. it's it's that knee-jerk, like, we all kind of wish, maybe, for a moment.
0: It's like, I don't think I'd actually shoot people in the throat with a crossbow.
1: Right. But sometimes it... Exactly. But you really...
0: At least when I'm in retail.
1: Yeah. But it's... It's a satisfying thought. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she's not trying to paint herself as, like, this misunderstood person.
0: No, I think that the most that she tends to do is explain it as a, I have been repeatedly given a shitty situation, and the world has various fucked up systems, mm-hmm. and I'm operating the best I can within those.
1: Yes. That does happen. I forgot that she kind of goes in a little bit more about like her upbringing and how she was, how she did not have the best childhood and things like that, which does tie into what I was saying before about, you don't fall in love with the Joker from a point of mental stability and happiness. (laughs) Yeah. Before we move on, it's not one of the major topics that I want to talk about, but we talked about it in the car after we left the movie. A little bit back to the aesthetics and the different characters. I really appreciated the way that the fighting styles of the different Mm. birds of prey reflects who they are as people and their backgrounds in some ways. In Harley Quinn's case, a nod to her canonical attribute of being like an Olympic level gymnast, basically, which is not something that comes up ever in this movie. I'm not sure if it's stated in Suicide Squad. It's clearly I think it might be it it's definitely evident in suicide squad. they make a lot of her gymnastic abilities and acrobatic capabilities. We see that a lot in her fighting style being very very influenced by like ballet and gymnastics, and it's all very graceful and the movements are very calculated, yeah, but in a in an aesthetically pleasing way, whereas with Huntress, you have this very martial arts influenced way of moving which makes sense because she's a trained assassin who was raised by trained assassins which is clearly going to involve a lot of martial arts and then you have huntress who you mean black Canary. Or sorry and then you have black canary who it's shown you know lives in a rough neighborhood and comes from pretty humble origins and is a brawler. Like, when she's fighting, she is throwing fists and elbows, um, you know.
0: She's rolling over things as if she's used to rolling over the hoods of cars to get out of the way of things.
1: Right. And then Cassandra Cain, who's mostly staying out of the way because she's a pickpocket, this is not the type of crime she's into, (laughs) you know. (laughs) She's mostly trying to hide and make herself unnoticed which makes sense and then Renee Montoya who is taking this very institutional style that like police are taught of like using cover protecting the innocent in the situation she's constantly trying to make sure she knows where Cassandra Cain is that Cassandra Cain is in cover she's using cover she's using her gun she's wearing a bulletproof vest so secretly it, secretly wearing in well bullet, no bulletproof bustier. <laughs> it's not so secret because Harley Quinn does suggest that she wear it when they're
0: doesn't think she does though. She
1: looks at it sort of skeptically, and then you find out she did decide to put it but
0: on. I'm surprised by that.
1: But uh, yeah, but you so you see where like how their backgrounds are played out physically. Whereas I don't, I don't know that that's always as intentionally done in action movies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that fight scene at the end does require us to take a moment to just appreciate how well done it is. I mean, throughout the choreography is great, but mm-hmm. in that scene in particular, it's amazing. As is the cinematography. Mm -hmm. I remember when I saw Suicide Squad and I had a few issues with Suicide Squad, but largely it was like, well, you know, it's a fun little romp, whatever. Mm -hmm. But they had a lot of the big fight scenes at the end were very dark, very smoky and cut in a way where you really didn't follow the flow of action very well. Mm -hmm. And then here they managed to take five different protagonists fighting many, many people at once and it... Just flows seamlessly.
1: Apparently they did one long take. Jesus Christ. For the period, the one with the big hands. Yeah. Yeah. They. I think they had to try a couple times, but they did. They get it. And it's a revolving stage.
0: Wow. I have to go back and watch that again.
1: And also there's the part of that fight scene where, Har- where Harley Quinn is in roller skates. Yeah. Margot Robbie is doing, and she did that stunt herself where she's on the roller skates and flips up onto the car. Huh. Yeah. No, it was... A challenging set of stunts for them to do, apparently. But really cool. Yeah. Paid off. Speaking of a fun romp, though. While we were talking before about the characterization and, like, Harley Quinn as a narrator, and you were saying it getting into her head, one of the things I appreciated the most about the characterization, aside from them inserting that background as a psychiatrist, was also just the joy that she finds in every situation. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, I'm going down this slide with the other people to escape this horde of men coming to literally cut one of us open. She's going, we Down the slide. And enjoying every moment of it, the point where she's busting cops in the police station to try and get to Cassandra Kane. she is clearly having so much fun. Like, she's smiling, sticking her tongue between her teeth, and grinning at the camera, and around and like walking through clouds of smoke and glitter like triumphantly and joyously all she's in a police chase and she's stopping to grab a purse she she just refuses to let any moment of enjoyment pass up no matter what else is going on around her and i think there's something really beautiful in that
0: yeah i mean it might also be indicative of not having a great past and needing to grab those moments of joy but
1: sure but it, i think that's also part of a survival strategy of like yeah. i'm going to take the joy where it comes even if it doesn't seem like the best time i don't know when the best time is going to be so going i enjoy whatever might be enjoyable right now it makes sense that she's so pissed about that sandwich one of her great joys
0: so i think that's most of the topics that we wanted to talk about but i think the big question here is what is it that this film is able to do that a film like suicide squad wasn't able to And why?
1: I think this movie actually captures certain aspects of the feminine experience in a very authentic way and makes statements about female solidarity being important and male entitlement and like a colonial mentality being a negative and toxic force in our society that Suicide Squad, I don't think, even was trying to do in any way. This movie feels a lot more intentional in terms of talking about how important it is to know who you are outside of your relationship with a man and to just, and just acknowledging a lot of the difficult aspects of being perceived as female in this world. And I think it's able to do that because it is helmed by a team of women. It's Margot Robbie's project, and she's the producer on it. The writer is female, and the director is female. And then, of course, it has, as, you, as we've mentioned lots of times, all of the main characters are female, except for the villain, who is the man, not accidentally. So I think because it's led by women, it is able to make authentic statements about that. That's fair. What do you think this movie is able to do that suicide squad can't or didn't
0: provide a more visually appealing fight scene? No,
1: you're not wrong i mean the fight scene and the fight scenes in this movie are beautiful they're gorgeously choreographed and visually engaging not just for the fight but for the scenario like scenes that they happen in are really compelling and interesting
0: I mean to provide a less flippant response i mean i I agree with you. I think that that's a big part of it it's so setting it up against Suicide Squad might be unfair on Suicide Squad, as I feel like the pitch behind this film was, okay, let's do a Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn film that like explores them and you know, how they can come together and support each other and blah, 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 blah. Whereas I feel that the mission statement for Suicide Squad was, we'll get all the villains together. It'll be cool. Yeah. So it, it does set out to make a message, I think it would be hard for someone to come out of that movie without having a viewpoint on things. Mm-hmm. Some of it is subtly background stuff, like just some of the things in Roman's apartment that he doesn't even talk about. But a lot of it is up in your face about it. But not in a preachy way, just it's a stated-as-reality.
1: Yeah, it's and I, I think that's what it is. It's acknowledging a lot of the ugly realities of being perceived as feminine and how that sucks, but also how it doesn't preclude you from being strong and independent and being your own person despite that stuff. And also how—and I—and I— I think that it's important that we do have art that is validating of a lot of those experiences, especially because a lot of women, when they try to talk about things that most women experience, have their concerns dismissed and invalidated by other people or like other people dismiss that stuff. Men in particular tend to dismiss stories of like women being harassed and things like that. And that being such a prevalent problem because it doesn't happen to them. So they think it's not real. So it's not, it's important to have art that is acknowledging, Hey, you're not crazy, this stuff is real and it's fucked up and it's not okay and you shouldn't have to deal with it, but we know you do have to deal with it, so let's talk about all the ways we deal with that. Yeah. Not even necessarily saying there's a particular way you should deal with it, just showing different women leading different kinds of lives, dealing with that kind of shit in their own way.
0: And all managing to be functional to one degree or another.
1: To one degree or another, yeah. With Harley Quinn maybe being, I don't know, defined functional.
0: Meh. Okay, I think that's a good answer to the big question. But I think the bigger question that this film asks, very overtly, is what is the perfect breakfast sandwich?
1: I think this film says that that sandwich featured in the film is the best breakfast sandwich.
0: For Harley Quinn.
1: For Harley Quinn. I think...
0: I mean, she acknowledges that part of what makes that sandwich great is the Armenian arm hair. And personally, I don't like that on my sandwiches. (laughs) one you i know
1: i personally am a big fan of bacon egg and cheese which is what harley has on that sandwich i would not pick the toasted bread or what was it that it's on it's on a toasted roll i forget the bread that she has i would i would probably go for something else you... i think that it kind of depends but i would go biscuit croissant or bagel if it's just bacon, egg, and cheese, I think a bagel is too much, actually. It's too sturdy. Well, it depends on... We make we that bacon, all bacon,
0: egg, and cheese bagels all the time. Do you hate them?
1: No, well, we have much more substantial bacon than a lot of places. So. Yeah, well, there is that. Yeah, so you're right, though. You can make a bake- bagel bacon, egg, and cheese that stands up to the bagel. Uh, but you have to have really good quality bacon for that. But you cannot go wrong with a biscuit as the base for a breakfast sandwich. So, yeah.
0: As I had a breakfast sandwich with a biscuit this morning, I find it of hard to argue with you.
1: But yeah, bacon, egg, and cheese. That's that, That's what I would go with. What about you?
0: See, that's difficult because I, I do enjoy a good bacon, egg, and cheese. I do also enjoy a fried chicken biscuit for breakfast, so I don't know. But I think that like, and part of this is just is me being British and part of it is just me being who I am as a person. But I think my personal favourite comfort food breakfast sandwich is either a good sausage or bacon. Either or, several slices of thick, lightly fried black pudding, and then a fried egg on top. Well, a fried egg and then a slice of bread on top. Otherwise, it's very messy to eat.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: And like uh, a over easy egg or a sunny-side-up egg so that the egg it, like breaks and runs down through the bacon and the black pudding. It's the way to go. It's
1: a very British sandwich.
0: I've never met anyone else who eats it, so I, I, it might just be me that decides to put that in a sandwich. But Oh,
1: and not even other British people?
0: Not that I've met, but a lot of British people don't like black pudding either.
1: Mm. i do but i can only enjoy it in small amounts so i might have like like a couple of slices on my breakfast plate with other stuff and then for like a bacon sandwich i might have a couple of small slices in with the bacon Mm. but if it's too much i find it overwhelming to the rest of the taste in the sandwich it's a very powerful flavor so
0: it is okay shall we do some fun facts
1: Yes, we should. But I'd like to acknowledge that Shadow is playing with a ball that has a bell in it. So that's probably going to be going on while we're finishing up. I have some fun facts. I don't know if you do.
0: I do not. I'll see if I think of any as you're talking.
1: Okay. So first, all of my fun facts are about Margot Robbie, who is the main person behind this film. It's her It's her project. Mm-hmm. As, and she also starred in it. She once ate four pounds of spaghetti bolognese and won a... Spaghetti bolognese eating competition.
0: How many pounds does she possibly weigh?
1: I don't know, but, I mean, that probably made a decent percentage of her weight, spaghetti bolognese. Wow. She also played right wing on an amateur hockey team when she first moved to the U.S., which she did, even, despite not knowing how to ice skate, because she really loved the Mighty Ducks when she was a child. Where's she from? Australia. Oh. Uh. Most of these fun facts come from having watched her on... Hot Ones. So we can link that video in the show notes because she did that recently as part of promoting Birds of Prey. Um, Mm. And they always bring up random weird old shit from people's social media and careers on that particular web series. She also bought a tattoo gun on eBay one time. Oh no. And has done over 50 tattoos, um, including tattooing the word squad, S-K-W-A-D on several of her colleagues um on the film Suicide Squad. Wow. Intent I mean this is like an agreed to thing. Like it's not like she was maliciously doing this or anything. Um while
0: well, they were passed down. Yeah.
1: But she has stopped doing this after a mishap. Oh dear. Basically at a bachelorette party everyone wanted tattoos. They decided to get matching tattoos and so she was tattooing her friends and she tattooed um one of her friends Back, and then her mom was super pissed because it was the maid of honor, and she was in a backless dress and had this like raw, fresh, scabby tattoo. Um, and, like, apparently bitched out Margot Robbie at this wedding. Um, and so she decided I shouldn't do this anymore. And so she she stopped doing it. That's in an article from February 5th, 2020. So pretty recently she has stated that she stopped doing it. Um, wow. But, yeah. Also, apparently the one of the person, people had thought they were getting a different tattoo than they did get. Was cool with it. Liked it anyway. It was fine. But still, like... Might have also been part of why Margot Robbie was leery of continuing to just tattoo people while drunk. Because apparently, usually, this happens when people are drunk. So we can include that article in the show notes as well if people are interested in reading about this tattooing mishap. She also apparently learned how to pickpocket for a movie and learned so well that they then like when they're like, you're supposed to steal things," like, I did. And I'm like, oh, we well, didn't see it. So had to like reorganize the scene so that the audience would be able to see that she had stolen from the other character. Mm-hmm. Also came up on Hot Ones, which I thought was pretty funny. And she learned how to hold her breath for five minutes for Suicide Squad. I don't know if you knew about that.
0: How do you learn how to hold your breath for five
1: minutes? Well, she explains it during Hot Ones. Apparently, it's something anyone can learn how to do, but you have to learn from somebody who knows how to do it and knows what will happen to you. And it's more knowing what happens to your body when it's deprived of oxygen for extended periods of time so that you know what's going on and how much time you have left. She's saying, like, you know, your body will start convulsing and you know, okay, if I wait through this... I've I've got, like, another 30 minutes to, uh, 30 seconds to another minute, and then the convulsions get worse, and you know, okay, I need to, I only have this much more time. And it's essentially about knowing what the different protests your body is making mean and pushing past it.
0: Hmm. Well, now I know what to learn how to do.
1: You want to learn how to hold your breath for five minutes? I mean,
0: it'd be an interesting thing to be able to do.
1: She does say it's a fun party trick at this point.
0: Really the better trick there is just get everyone drunk so they don't notice that you're breathing through your nose. But ah. the one fun fact I do have is um the title that they were using for the film when it was in production. Like they'll they'll often have like secret titles, like um the one they were using was Fox Force Five, which is the name of the fictional T V series that Uma Thurman's character was in in Pulp Fiction.
1: Huh. Hmm. Do you have any other fun facts?
0: Uh I think that was all of mine.
1: Alright. Alright. So we'll link the hot ones video, that article, and the other article you were talking about in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Cool. Okay. We <laughs> are just about to post our schedule for the next few episodes or the next two months of episodes, I think, on social media, which I have said every episode for the past month, month and a half. You promised
1: um, last time that we have this
0: <laughs> And by the time you listen to this, I probably will have got around to doing it. So you can find that list on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Unramblings, on Twitter at UnramblingsPod. If you have any feedback or thoughts on the show, you can either leave a review somewhere or you can email us, which you can also email us with suggestions and comments and pet care routines at UnramblingsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, We also encourage people to use the hashtag Unramblings to discuss what we've talked about on the show on social media, and we will try and weigh in on those discussions wherever we can. If you go and check out our social media, you can find out the answer to whether or not you should put a fried egg on top of a piece of fruit pie. So you know all sorts of fun things.
1: Thank you for listening to Unramblings. We hope that you will join us next week. Spaghetti bolognese eating competition. What was that?
0: Shadow, are you okay?
1: What did you do? I think he's just playing.